All right. Well, in our study last week, uh, Bo uh, finished up the section that we've been studying on the life of Solomon. So we've gone through the historical passages contained in 1 Kings and uh, concluded with chapter uh, 11 last week. And so uh, this morning, we're going to make a transition from the things that have been written about Solomon in Scripture, the history of his life, to the writings of Solomon. And uh, so that'll be uh, the focus uh, not only this week, but for the coming weeks uh, until we complete this series. Now, having just completed 1 Kings chapter 11, you remember our study last week uh, uh, was perhaps not the most encouraging passage as we read about uh, Solomon uh, stumbling and, and falling. Uh, Bo kind of raised this question. He, he asked the question, well, why should we be interested in what a man who turned from the living God to the pursuit of idolatry, why should we be interested in what he had to say and, and what he has written? And as Bo pointed out last week, uh, the answer to that is that all scripture was written by imperfect human beings because there aren't any perfect human beings. All scripture has been written by uh, people who are sinners, but <clears throat> the writers were all men who were moved by the Holy Spirit to pen the very words of God. And so the words that we have are exactly what God wanted written down. Even though these writers, they're writing in their own historical context and they're using their own vocabulary and style, still it is God's word. And so the writings of Solomon in the Bible are truly part of God's inspired holy word. Now, as we saw in the first 10 chapters of 1 Kings, Solomon certainly started his rule very strong. Uh, and probably for about a period of 20 years, uh, the first 20 years of his reign, uh, he was a godly example. But then as we read in chapter 11 last week, he slipped into a period of clear disobedience where he, he went his own direction and uh, allowed his, his wives to lead him into idolatry. But as we will see later in this series, so we're going to do a, a number of weeks in the book of Proverbs. Then we're going to move on to the book of Ecclesiastes. And when we get into Ecclesiastes, we'll find that there's clear evidence that he repented late in life and did return to the Lord. So Proverbs, uh, I think it's safe to assume, uh, comes from the first 20 years of his reign when he was uh, really walking with the Lord as, as he ought. Now, uh, I mentioned Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. There's also a third book that uh, was written by Solomon, and these are commonly referred to as uh, wisdom literature. The third book is Song of Solomon. That'll be the very last book that we study uh, in this series. <clears throat> now, what's interesting about wisdom literature is that uh, these are not historical accounts. They are not the law of God. They are not statements of prophecy. Uh, instead, they speak to the practical issues of daily life. And so today, as we begin a series of lessons in Proverbs, uh, we find a book that puts on full display the wisdom of God imparted to Solomon. It's a written collection of wise sayings inspired by God and passed down to us for our own spiritual benefit and growth. So our plan for this morning is to focus on what this book teaches us on the subject of work. Work and labor, and you're thinking, oh boy. <laughs> but it's an important subject, and uh, you'll, you'll certainly, uh, I think, appreciate that more as, as we get into uh, what the Proverbs are uh, specifically on this subject. 
But before we do that, I want to step back for a moment and just consider some groundwork regarding the book of Proverbs. Because, uh, you know, if you haven't already started doing some reading in it, you know, we did have reading lists that we uh, sent out to all of you some, some months ago. If you haven't already started reading it, uh, you're certainly going to discover that it's very different in style from anything that we have done to this point. So, considering the book of Proverbs, perhaps the first question that comes to mind is, what exactly is a proverb? Well, paraphrasing the notes of the MacArthur Study Bible, we could express it like this. Proverbs are concise moral statements designed to highlight and teach the fundamental realities of life. And in essence, that's what they are. Another way to put it is they are pithy sayings. I had to look up pithy. Pithy, by the way, means concise. <laughs> they are pithy sayings designed to lead the reader to fear God and to live by God's wisdom. So that's certainly another way that you could think of the Proverbs. The word itself, anybody know what it means? I didn't realize this until I looked it up. The word means uh, to be like or to compare with. You know, Proverbs often draw comparisons between common images, things that we see in everyday life, and moral truths. Let me give you some examples. Proverbs 11, verse 22. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Do you catch the comparison there? <laughs> Again, you know, it's a very graphic image. You just have this image of, of, of a swine with a costly gold ring in its snout, and you think, well, this, this makes no sense. Well, by the same token, you know, what the verse is saying is that's the way a beautiful woman is who lacks discretion. It just doesn't fit. Another one is Proverbs 15, verse 19. Let me read that for us. 1519 says, the way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Again, you can kind of get the image. You know, what, what's a, uh, a hedge of thorns going to be like when you brush up against it? It's going to be painful, right? But the path of the upright is a highway. It's a, a, a broad way. One more. This is in chapter 25, verse 19. By the way, I'm going to be giving you lots of references to Proverbs, and they would have all been on the screen. <laughs> and what I'm going to do, well, what I do each time I teach is I, I upload the slides, and you can go to the church's website, and you can go to, to Sojourners, and you'll, you'll find all the references there. So don't feel like you need to write all these references down. Uh, all right, this is Proverbs 25:19. Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot, is confidence in a faithless man in a time of trouble. What's a bad tooth like? It hurts. It hurts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and an unsteady foot. You know, you may fall. Uh, well, that's a comparison to uh, putting confidence in a faithless man in a time of trouble. In other words, don't do that. It's going to lead to pain. So that's, that's what Proverbs are like. They often are drawing a comparison like that. Well, how about the authorship of the book? Uh, regarding this point of authorship, uh, we find that Solomon wrote almost the entire book. Uh, he wrote a section devoted to teaching about wisdom versus folly in chapters one through nine. So when you read chapters one through nine, you'll find that it, it's, it's not a list of bullet points, it's not a list of, of proverbs, but rather it's just straight teaching. 
And it comes in the form uh, primarily of father-to-son talks focused on the value of wisdom and the danger of folly. So Solomon kind of presents that as sort of introductory material to help you understand what wisdom is and what folly is. And once you understand that, when you get to chapter 10, verse 1, boy, then they start coming one, one right after another, proverb after proverb after proverb. So he penned the series of proverbs from chapter 10, verse 1, through chapter 22, verse 16. And there's also strong evidence that the proverbs listed in chapters 22, verse 17, through 24, 34, uh, were written before Solomon's time. But Solomon is likely the person who compiled them. And then Solomon wrote the Proverbs contained in chapters 25 to 29, but they were not compiled until later on during the reign of King Hezekiah. Then you get to chapter 30. In chapter 30, it tells us who wrote that chapter, uh, a gentleman by the name of Agur. And then chapter 31 also identifies an author by the name of Lemuel at the beginning of the chapter. Some scholars believe that Lemuel is just another name for Solomon. We, we don't, don't really know for sure. But point is, Solomon is the primary author of, of the book. If you've got a really good memory, you might remember way back when we studied 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. It told us that Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs. Can you imagine that? Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs. Well, how many of them do we have? Well, not all of them apparently were written down, but 513 of them are recorded for us in this book. They've been written down for our benefit. Well, what exactly is the purpose of the book of Proverbs? There's several specific purposes that are given in chapter 1, and we won't go into those now because when we come back in January, we are going to do a study on Proverbs chapter 1. But in broad terms, you could think of the purpose this way. Proverbs is a book about living life as God intended, dealing with choices made in day-to-day -day living that aren't specifically addressed in God's law. You know, we have God's law that tells us what God says is right and what God says is wrong. But there's a lot of questions that come up in daily life that aren't really addressed in the law. Uh, so Proverbs is designed to teach us skill in living. What is skill in living? That's that word wisdom uh, that we find throughout this book. It's to teach us wisdom, to help us in very practical questions like this. What does it look like to be a true friend? How should I handle my finances? What should my family relationships look like? So these are the kinds of things that aren't really specifically addressed in God's law, but they're things that we deal with all day, every day, and that's really what Proverbs does. It kind of uh, hits us where we are right now. So this, then, is a book that's filled with practical, God-given wisdom addressing a multitude of everyday issues. Now, I mentioned earlier that uh, when you read Proverbs, it reads really differently than, than other books that we have looked at. Uh, and so uh, it's helpful to think about the style of writing and what's going on here. And one of the key aspects of the style of writing in Proverbs is that it uses Hebrew parallelism. What that means is that in many of the Proverbs, you'll find the, the first line in that proverb will make a point, and then the second line will make the same point only in different words. And sometimes the parallelism is it makes a point in the first line, and then in the second line it gives the opposite. And the reason that it's done that way is to help us to understand. 
So it, it rewords things to help us. If you didn't catch it the first time, here's another way of putting it. Or sometimes you can understand something better when you have been confronted with the opposite. It just helps you to, uh, to be able to, to get a, a grasp on it. So that's something that you'll see a lot of as, as we go through the book. Secondly, some of the Proverbs are in the form of riddles. You will read some of these Proverbs and you'll think, what in the world is this talking about? And it just initially, it won't make any sense to you at all. And the book actually talks about Proverbs being written as riddles, as enigmas, and it's done on purpose. And the purpose is to force us to think. <laughs> the writer wants us to really ponder, really think, okay, well, what is being said here? And so there's some Proverbs that are just laid out directly and it's very easy to understand. And there's others that are head scratchers. So you'll, you'll see some of that as, as well. Uh, an important interpretive note, Proverbs are general truths. They're not always promises. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. Uh, again, drawing from the MacArthur Study Bible, there's a note in there that I, I think expresses this really well. It reads like this. Proverbs are divine guidelines and wise observations teaching underlying principles which are not always inflexible laws or absolute promises. These expressions of general truth generally do have exceptions due to the uncertainty of life and the unpredictable behavior of fallen men. You know, one of the classic ones that, that I hear people quote uh, will be the, the one that says, uh, train up a child in the way he, go, he will go, in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is a general truth, but it's not a hard and fast promise. <laughs> And uh, so you need to be careful with Proverbs. Some of the Proverbs are clearly truth for all time. Some of them uh, are not. There are exceptions, and we need to be aware of that. Uh, one last point on understanding the Proverbs. You also find in the book of Proverbs, it assumes that the reader has a relationship with the Lord, that the reader knows the Lord. And so this is a book that's really for believers. And uh, it's for those that have turned to the Lord in repentance and faith and put their trust in him. And he is now working in lives to uh, uh, sanctify and to change. And uh, the book certainly serves that purpose. So with that in mind, let's consider what the book of Proverbs has to say on the subject of work and labor. So the theme of our lesson this morning will come as no surprise. It's really pretty straightforward. The theme is this. To be wise in performing any work we do, we must reflect on and be obedient to the God-given principles and proverbs pertaining to work and labor. And so that's what we want to take a look at this morning. You know, some years ago, I, I read a book published by the Navigators entitled, Your Work Matters to God. It was co-authored by Doug Sherman and William Hendricks, Jr. And the basic premise of that book is that uh, as Christians, we have a tendency to compartmentalize our lives. And we tend to see uh, certain activities as really important. Those are things like attendance and worship and serving within the church. You know, those are things that we really elevate. And then we tend to look at the, the daily routine things, whether it's housework or yard work or our jobs, as just kind of, eh, <laughs> you know, this isn't, this isn't any real spiritual activity. And we tend to downplay it. And the reality is everything we do matters to God. And that's what you're going to see 
uh, in Proverbs. As the Apostle Paul put it, he said, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, what we do throughout the course of the day, no matter what activity we're involved in, whatever we're working at, it matters to God. So let's see what we can learn from the book of Proverbs on this important subject. So what are some key principles in the book of Proverbs pertaining to work? How can we conduct our work in a way that pleases the Lord? What's that aspect of wisdom look like? Well, our starting point is a principle that appears either directly or indirectly multiple times, and it's expressed like this. In any worthwhile task you're engaged in, perform your work with diligence. Diligence, it's a key word. Webster defines diligence as this. It's steady, earnest, energetic effort. It is devoted and painstaking work to accomplish an undertaking. And that word diligence appears in Proverbs uh, quite a number of times. So let's begin looking at what the uh, Proverbs have to say on this subject. If you turn to chapter 10, Let's look at verses 4 and 5. Chapter 10, verse 4 says, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. You can see the, the parallelism there. So generally speaking, what's the outcome for someone who works hard and acts responsibly. What's this proverb or these two proverbs telling us? Success. Success. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They'll be wise, they'll be rich. How about the one who's negligent or lazy? What's the outcome for them? <laughs> yeah. They will be poor. <laughs> yeah, the hand of the rich or excuse me, the hand of the diligent makes rich, but he who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. It'll just bring shame on that person if they're not being diligent in their work. The message to us, diligence really matters. Let's turn over to chapter 12, verse 11. It reads, he who tills his land will have plenty of bread but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. So if you put in the effort toward a worthwhile task, you'll, you'll reap the reward, right? So do you need to be careful about deciding what you're gonna devote your time and, and effort, energy to? What's this verse tell us? Is what we're working on important? Yes, yeah, yeah, notice what it says. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. So it also matters what we're working on. I mean, not only do we need to be diligent in our work, but we need to be doing things that are important, things that are worthwhile. We need to consider uh, priorities. So if we find ourselves drifting into worthless things, this proverb tells us that we're lacking in sense. Any of you are perfectionists? I can be a perfectionist sometimes. You know what this suggests about perfectionism? It can be a big waste of time. If, if I am working and working and working on something to get it perfect, and there's other things that are being left undone, that is not good. I'm, I, 
this proverb is telling me that when I do that, I'm lacking sense. Uh, so we need to be concerned not only with diligence, but also uh, being diligent in working on the right thing. Um, go down to verse 24, same chapter. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. So what's the point here? Who's, who's likely to get the promotion? Yeah, the one, who, the one who's diligent, right? The one who's working hard. And who is likely to be doing undesirable tasks? Yeah, the one who's kind of slack in, in their work. <laughs> They're likely to pay the price. Verse 27. A lazy man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. So what kind of uh, image of the lazy man does this present? What's the lazy man doing here? Nothing. Nothing, yeah. What's he doing with his prey? He's gone out and hunted? Yeah, he doesn't even cook it. It's a pretty gross picture, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of disgusting. You know, and that's, that's the kind of image that, that we're to take away from this proverb. You know, that's what it's like with a, with a, a lazy person. It's like, it's like somebody that uh, they go out and hunt and they don't even bother to, to cook the meat. They're just, they're just eating it. And uh, then the opposite of that, what's God's attitude toward the one who is diligent? This is not a hard question. Yeah, yeah, it's precious, right? So when you're doing a job and you're taking the time to get it right, it's pleasing to God. It's something that is precious. Um, chapter 14, verse 23. This is an interesting one. In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Hmm. Do you ever have anyone say to you, if you spend as much time working as you do talking, you'd get an awful lot done? <laughs> I hope none of you have ever heard that. But uh, Have you ever been in a situation where you've worked around somebody who's just talk, 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 and they kind of float around and they're interrupting other people and they're just not getting anything done? You know, that's, that's what this uh, proverb is talking about. You know, I have worked with people like that. I suspect that uh, all of us have at one time or another. And it, it, it's not a good thing. That's a reputation that we don't want to have. Chapter 16. Turn over to uh, chapter 16, verse 26. A worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger urges him on. So is being in need always a bad thing? No. No, not always. It can drive you to be diligent and to work hard, and that's a good thing. You know, this proverb seems to imply that providing an incentive can help spur a person on to, to work, to work hard. And uh, so that's certainly a, a God-given principle as well. On to chapter 19. Verse 2. Also, it is not good for a person to be without knowledge. And he who hurries his footsteps errs. So here's another aspect of diligence. Is it important to know what you're doing? 
Guys, how many times have you taken something apart? Maybe you've disassembled a lawnmower and you thought, I know I can fix this thing. And then you can't figure out how to get it back together. <laughs> you know, again, probably all of us have had experiences like that. But this proverb reminds us that uh, it, it is important to, to know uh, what we're doing. Uh, it's not good for a person to be without knowledge. If we're going to work on something, we need to do our, our homework and understand uh, what we're going after. And then the second half of it, he who hurries his footsteps errs. Any of you like to work quick? <laughs> yeah, that can be a good thing, but it can be a bad thing if you're working too quick and you're, you're uh, making mistakes. Okay, one more uh, on this topic. It's in chapter 22. Look at verse 29. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. So there's great value in really mastering a skill, isn't there? Again, probably all of us know people that are really, really skilled at certain things. You know, it could be most anything. It, you know, it could be, uh, you know, as, as a musician. It could be as an engineer. It could be... Uh, as a manager, uh, all kinds of, of, of skills. Um, but there is great value in mastering that. True skill will be recognized and it'll be rewarded. But it must not become a source of pride. The glory needs to go to God, of course. You know, we saw an illustration of this. Do you remember back in 1 Kings chapter 7? There we ran across a guy by the name of Hiram. And Hiram is a a, a worker, a metal worker, and Solomon uh, had Hiram brought to uh, Israel for the express purpose of uh, making the bronze castings for the exterior furnishings of the temple. Hiram really fits what this proverb is talking about. He's a great example of a diligent worker. Uh, back in chapter 7 of 1 Kings, in verse 14, we read this, that Hiram was a man filled with wisdom and understanding and skill for doing any work in bronze. So he came to Solomon and performed all his work. He's a guy who was diligent. He skilled, he worked hard, and he stood before a king, just as this proverb uh, is telling us. In the field of metalworking, Hiram had acquired the knowledge, he developed the skill, he worked tirelessly to accomplish the task, and then he stood before Solomon himself. So he serves as perhaps the ultimate example of one working with diligence. But how about for you? How about for me? And whatever type of work you're involved in, and again, this isn't just what we do for a living. This is just any work that we're doing uh, as we go through the course of a day. Does your attitude and performance fit the positive descriptions we've seen here in these Proverbs? You know, that's really something to think about because this is what God calls us to do. This is how we glorify him moment by moment as we go through the course of the day. Well, we've given our attention to the subject of diligence, but uh, what are some words that we could use to describe the opposite of diligence? We've, we've kind of seen a little bit of that already. What's, what's the opposite of being diligent? Lazy, indolent, negligent. <laughs> yeah, those, those terms are... Um, uh, kind of at the other end of the spectrum. 
The issue of negligence and laziness is also a major theme in Proverbs. And here we get introduced to a character who's known as the sluggard. The sluggard. Uh, any of you have slugs in your yard or garden? <laughs> What's a slug like when it's moving from one place to another? Slow. slow. Really slow. It's slimy, yeah. Yeah, so that's the kind of image that, uh, that we have here. They don't move very quickly. And so the second principle, don't be negligent in your tasks like the sluggard. So I invite you to turn to chapter 6. This is part of the uh, instruction that, remember I mentioned about the first nine chapters are Solomon's uh, you know, father-to-son instruction. In chapter 6, verse 6, we read this. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. So again, Proverbs are comparisons. And so here we see uh, the ant presented as a model of diligence and of careful planning. But what's at the top of the sluggard's priority list? What's important to the sluggard? Ease, sleep, <laughs> sure, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Yeah, that's what the sluggard is, is kind of all about. And what will be the outcome for the person who, whose life is characterized by that? Poverty, yeah, yeah, they'll pay the price. Well, turn over to chapter 18, verse 9. See another comment here. This is an interesting one. It's another one that makes a comparison. He also who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. So being slack in your work, being lazy, it's as bad as what? Actively destroying. Actively destroying. Yeah. Do you ever think about that? Yes, yeah, it is the same kind of, kind of idea. It's destructive. Being slack in your work, being lazy, is just as bad as being destructive. Why? Well, it's because in both cases, you're failing to contribute to whatever it is that needs to be done. Um, you know, if you're working in a group setting, you're, you're failing to contribute to the common good. And your failure to work, it's, it's just like you're destroying uh, what is uh, already being done by other people. How about 1924? This is another one that presents kind of a humorous picture. By the way, when you read through the Proverbs, you do kind of come away with a sense that God really does have a sense of humor. And here you'll find it. 1924. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but will not even bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> How lazy is that? <laughs> Well, what's the point here? Have, have you ever met anyone who uh, faced with even the easiest and simplest tasks that could really be helpful to them? They, they won't do it. 
that's what this proverb is, is, is talking about. And it's a, it's a really destructive uh, behavior pattern. We must never be like that. So it's funny, we, don't, we, we can read these Proverbs and, and kind of laugh, but these are designed to kind of hold a mirror up in front of us uh, to, to see uh, how we may be and uh, how we ought to be. Well, there's another one in chapter 20, verse 4, that says, The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. The idea here is that after the autumn is the best time to plant. This is, you know, in the context of, of Israel. This is the best time to plant. So what happens to the farmer who is too lazy to plant at that right time? Yeah, it's nothing to harvest. Yeah, if, if, if he's not you know, following the agricultural calendar and planting when he should, he's not going to have any harvest, and he's going to be forced to beg. So here it's a picture of someone who wants to enjoy the rewards without expending the effort. Again, have we ever been like that? Know anybody like that? It's not a good way to be. Life just doesn't work that way. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Chapter 21, verse 25. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. This is one you have to think about a little bit, you know, what exactly it's saying. But what it is, it's, it's a picture of one whose laziness will ultimately be the death of them. You know, you could imagine, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a parent saying to, to their child, your laziness is going to be the death of you. That's, that's really the idea of, of what this proverb is, is saying. It's, again, it's just a, a strong rebuke. 22.13 is the next one on the list. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. What do you think is the point? I heard a key word over there. Making, Making excuses. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's characteristic of, of the sluggard. The sluggard always has an excuse, and often his excuses are ridiculous. Um, again, do we ever rationalize when we haven't done what we should have done? <laughs> yeah, I think, again, all, all of us are guilty of that at one time or another. But this proverb reminds us that, you know, we should just own up to things and not, not be making excuses. And we should be doing the work in the first place. All right, chapter 24. Here's an extended section. Chapter 24, uh, starting at verse 30. You'll notice here the writer is kind of uh, making an observation. He says in verse 30, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. 
again, you'll notice these statements are, are repeated. We've read them before. In scripture, it's a safe assumption. When you see something repeated, it's like having it underlined. It means it's something that's, that's really important. So the writer describes the scene that he's observed. It's a story of laziness, and he's learned from it. He's learned a lesson. What's going to become of the sluggard lacking in sense? Verse 34, what's going to be the outcome? Poverty, Poverty. yeah. And the message is, you know, don't, don't be like that. Uh, well, then uh, when we come to chapter 26, verse 13, here's a, a good summary of what we've learned about the sluggard. 26.13 says, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's weary of bringing it to his mouth again. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. So, <laughs> you'll notice what it says about the sluggard here. Again, he makes excuses for not getting things done, as we've already seen. He places a very high value on his sleep. We've seen that before as well. And he will not work even at the simplest tasks to help himself. And then here's, there's a new point to add. He has an inflated viewpoint of himself. The way he sees himself is different than the way uh, everybody else sees him. So there's the portrait of the sluggard. So up to this point in our study, we've learned that in any worthwhile task you're engaged in, you must perform it with diligence. That's what God expects of you. And then secondly, don't be negligent in your tasks like the sluggard. Well, for many of us, our work may involve conducting business of some sort, either uh, directly or indirectly uh, with other people. In other words, sometimes we, we are working in a situation where what we do is going to have impact on other people. And so that brings us to a third principle. Always conduct your work with fairness and integrity. So I invite you to turn back to chapter 10. Look at verse 2. It says, Ill-gotten gains do not profit but righteousness delivers from death. So this proverb makes it clear that business conducted with deceptive means will ultimately bring no value. And it is certainly true in an eternal sense as well. And you notice in the second half, uh, you know, the second uh, line there, by contrast, righteousness brings the very greatest value. And this is true because the righteous person has the imputed righteousness of Christ and has been delivered from death. So when you put the two parts of this verse together, it's clear that the one who's characterized by dishonesty in business is wicked and is destined for eternal death. I mean, that's kind of the, the point of that second phrase is when it says ill-gotten gains do not profit in the first phrase, you know, it's, it's not that just that it won't profit, but also... Uh, it'll lead to death. And then the opposite of that, righteousness delivers from death. The one who's characterized by dishonesty in business is wicked and destined for eternal death. Clearly, it's an issue that God takes very seriously. 
Well, let's uh, move on to chapter 11, verse 1. This is a familiar verse. It says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So what's one key way to please the Lord in the way that you work? Yeah, do your job, carry your, your weight. Um, how about how you do your job, how you carry your weight? In what way do you need to do it? Have yeah. integrity. Yeah, have integrity. Yeah, right? Bill your actual hours. Bill your actual hours. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, again, you know, we, we laugh, but we need to take this really seriously. And if, if we're doing something that we're we're shortchanging our employer or we're doing something that is eh, not quite above board. Um, it's displeasing to the Lord. Um, uh, chapter 16, uh, verse 11 is a similar statement. It, you don't need to turn there necessarily, but it reads this, uh, a just balance and scales belong to the Lord. All the weights of his bag are his concern. Excuse me, all the weights of the bag are his concern. So that verse adds the point that we must be fair all the time and not just sometimes. You know, that statement makes it, it's all of the weights in the bag must be fair, must be right, uh, not just some of them. Yeah, so fairness, integrity is, is a really important characteristic for us when we're, when we're working and we're doing something that's going to impact other people. Uh, chapter 11, verse 3. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. So when the person who's upright in character is trying to make a decision, they will be guided by their integrity. They will be asking themselves the question, okay, here's my situation. What's the right thing for me to do uh, in, this, in this situation? And that's just a really important question for all of us to be, to be asking. They will be perpetually asking that. What's the right thing to do? And then he or she will, will go that way. But what's the treacherous person uh, going to pursue? The crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. They're going to pursue their crookedness, right? And what will be the outcome? Obviously their destruction. Okay, turn over to chapter 13, verse 11. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. So again, there's a contrast here. There's, there's two ways to conduct business, by fraud, which ultimately leads to loss, or by labor, by hard work, by diligence, and that increases wealth. Chapter 14, verse 31. He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. Are there any business practices you've run across that take uh, unfair advantage of the poor? Okay, can, you, can you think of any situations that, that you've heard about or run across? Yeah, Deborah.
Yeah, so sometimes it could be just um, kind of shortchanging people to, to, to satisfy a need. Like Brian. State and national lotteries. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Um, <laughs> the lottery system does tend to prey on the people that can least afford it because they're trying to get rich quick. And that, that's what, what tends to happen. And they're sponsored by the government, which is supposed to be righteous. Yeah, that's the, that's the <laughs> yeah that's, a whole, that's a whole subject in itself, but you're right. You ever run across any uh, scams uh, that are being uh, offered to the elderly? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are, are people out there who uh, who are preying on, on the elderly all, all the time. I mean, that's a, a very common practice. Uh, or um, you know, maybe a, a woman who doesn't know very much about a car repair or air conditioner repair, and they call a repairman, and he says, "Oh, you know, this this condenser unit it needs to be replaced." <laughs> you know, when actually it just needs a fifteen cent part. Uh, yeah, there's, there's things like that that, that happen. Um, and what this proverb is teaching us is we must not go there, must, not, must be careful to make sure that we're not doing anything that is going to shortchange anybody. Um, uh, I guess just another point on that. You know, if you're involved in business dealings with the general public, it'd be good to keep in mind that it's good to be gracious to the poor, the people that maybe can't afford to have you do everything that needs to be done. Um, treat them with grace. Chapter 16, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Yeah, so again, in God's eyes, fairness and justice are paramount. Chapter 28, verse 8. That's the last verse in this category. He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. So this verse is talking about unfair business practices. Usury is a term that's uh, used to describe uh, exorbitant interest rates, interest rates that take advantage of people. So what will become of the businessman who uses oppressive tactics to squeeze more money out of people? It's likely that their wealth is going to find its way to the poor. <laughs> yeah. So let's summarize this section. You know, think about what these Proverbs are saying. That conducting work with fairness and integrity really matters to God. It's, it's important. So whether you're self-employed or working for a business or just working on a project to help a friend or neighbor, it's important to be concerned with doing what is right, what is fair. In Luke 6.38, we read these words of Jesus. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. We need to be concerned with how we are um, measuring things out to people and uh, uh, being generous in, in doing that. Be fair, be generous. So, just to recap, so far we've seen that we need to work with diligence. We need to not be negligent or lazy. We need to always do our work with fairness and integrity. And then on to number four on our list, 
We need to maintain a humble attitude and be willing to collaborate with others. Turning back to chapter 11 for a minute, we have already read chapter 11, uh, verses 1 and 3. Now we're going to do the one that we skipped. Chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. So when you're working with other people, what should you avoid? Pride. Why? What will happen to your reputation? You'd be dishonored. Yeah. <laughs> you ever worked around somebody who's just really arrogant? It's not, it's not a pleasant situation. <laughs> so how are humility and wisdom connected? He says when... Yeah, you don't know everything, do you? <laughs> but with the humble, <laughs> there is there's wisdom. You know, when you recognize that... Uh, you know, I don't have all the answers. You know, when you start talking along those lines, you've got an accurate view of yourself and your capabilities. Um, that's a good place to be. You want to be there rather than an inflated view. Yeah. I found that even the wisest people uh, exercise admirable humility because they recognize they took a lot of mistakes to get them that wisdom, and they're still capable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I admire that. Yeah, it's very, it, that's very, very true. Um, chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So what does this proverb suggest to us if, if we find ourselves in a position where we're holding tightly onto our favorite viewpoint and everybody else around us <laughs> says... Uh, it's not a not a good idea. Um, what does that suggest? We may be <laughs> may have become a fool, right? Because the fool is right in, in his own eyes. So, you know, when we're in that situation where we're kind of all by ourselves and everybody else sees things differently, it's a good time to stop and ask ourselves the question: um, Am I failing to really listen and understand, and am I just being foolish in my own going my own direction? Um, need to be cautious. All right, one more. 1522. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. So there's real value in sharing ideas and building on one another's ideas, isn't there? Um, we went through a, an exercise at the place that I retired from where we had uh, teams of, of people and uh, they were given a rather complex problem and asked to, to uh, present a proposal, each person individually, and then divided up into groups and, and went through the exercise again. And invariably, every single time, the group of people came up with a much, much better solution than any one individual, even the smartest people in the room. Um, and that's kind of what this, uh, what this proverb is suggesting to us. So, to summarize here, the Lord values humility. In the workplace, there's certainly great value in holding an accurate view of your capabilities and limitations while being open to the ideas and suggestions of other people. Well, next we have just a couple of Proverbs related to directing the work of others. 
And here we find advice to help us be wise in managing people. Uh, again, turn back to chapter 10. Verse 26, this one's a pretty clear image. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. Any of you campers? You ever sat by a campfire and the, the wind shifts and the smoke is blowing in your eyes? What's that like? It's not real pleasant, is it? Uh, I imagine vinegar to the teeth isn't real pleasant either. So what's the point? What does this pro proverb suggest about choosing someone to perform a task for you? If you're going to send somebody on a task, yeah, and will do it. You don't want to send a lazy person. <laughs> if you send a lazy person to do something that really needs to be done, it's going to be an unpleasant experience <laughs> for you. It'll be like smoke in your eyes, vinegar in your teeth. 26.10 is the only other one I have in this category. This one presents an interesting picture too. 2610 says, like an archer who wounds everyone, so is he who hires a fool or who hires those who pass by. <laughs> How's that for a graphic picture? <laughs> so how would you describe its point? What's the point being made here? You have this, this image of, of an archer who's, who's just randomly firing arrows and, and, and he's hitting everyone. We used, to, we used to say that those were people who were guided by the dictum, ready, fire, aim. Yeah. <laughs> never worked out. Yep, yep. So what's the point, you know, as, as a manager, as one, if you're leading a group of people? Hire the right people. Hire the right people, yeah. You need to be, you need to be careful. Uh, in, in choosing. It says, like an archer who wounds everyone, so is he who hires a fool. You know, and when Proverbs talks about fool, it's not talking about somebody who's just silly. The word fool is really somebody who is, is wicked, uh, is, is treacherous. This is an immoral person. Uh, or who hires uh, those who pass by. What kind of a person is that? You don't know what you're getting. You haven't done your due diligence. And Oh, here comes a warm body. Let's 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 recruit them. Don't do that. <laughs> this is what this is what the Lord is, is is teaching us here. All right, we're almost done. Um, so Proverbs also provides instruction on relating to the one who has employed us. And here we need to receive criticism graciously and serve those in authority well. If you turn over to fifteen thirty one. Fifteen thirty one says, "He whose ear listens to the life giving reproof will dwell among the wise." Reproof is criticism for something you've done wrong. A good synonym for reproof is rebuke. So, what would be a godly response when your boss rebukes you, or your spouse rebukes you, uh, because you've done something wrong? What's the verse say? Listen, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, listen, understand, and you know, respond appropriately. And the result is you'll grow in wisdom. 
Uh, the next verse kind of gives the other side of the coin, and it uh, reinforces verse 31. It's in, so uh, verse 32 says, He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. So if the boss offers criticism and we just blow it off, we do so uh, at our own harm. We need to listen and gain uh, understanding. Uh, chapter 17, verse 10, continues this theme. A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. <laughs> so when people are rebuking us and saying, hey, you messed up, um, we don't want to be defensive. We don't want to get angry. We want to listen and learn from it. Um, chapter 17, verse 2. A servant who acts wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share in the inheritance among brothers. So what will be the outcome for a servant who performs his work with wisdom, who's diligent? What's his standing going to be? Elevated. It's going to be elevated, isn't it? He's going to be uh, considered higher than an irresponsible son. So the person who pleases the boss by working hard and acting wisely will generally be rewarded. That's, that's the point here. 2718. 2718. He who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who cares for his master will be honored. So how would you express the point here? Yeah, take care of the boss. <laughs> That's really wise advice, isn't it? You need to understand what the boss wants, what the boss is looking for, what you can do that'll be helpful, that'll make the boss look good. And uh, when you serve the boss well, uh, it's a path to recognition. Uh, you need to honor your boss. You need to cast them in a good light. But ultimately, who is the boss for all of us? God, it's the Lord. Yeah, look at chapter 16, verse 3. We'll finish with this verse. <coughs> Excuse me. Chapter 16, verse 3 says this. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. So what do we need to do to be successful in any work that we're involved in? Pray, Pray about it. Commit it to the Lord. It's interesting, the word that's translated commit, this came as kind of a surprise to me. It means to roll. It means to roll. The picture here is of rolling your works onto the Lord as an act of complete dependence. That's, that's what this verse is really talking about. It's the idea of humbly recognizing that it's only through the Lord's grace that you're able to accomplish anything. And so it's important in any work that you're doing to recognize that you're depending on the Lord and, and, and to pray, turn to him and, and ask for his aid. So if we have looked to him, seeking his wisdom and aid, and if our, our plans are in accord with his perfect will, this verse reminds us that he will establish them. So that's kind of a 